A warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Many thanks for tuning in, or however else, in whatever other method you happen to use to access our programmes. Today our Bible teacher Brian brings us the sixth and final part of this series called Keepers of the Threshold. The last of the responsibilities of the Keepers of the Threshold we're going to look at is for Brian to eventually reveal. So Brian, what's in store? Thanks John. Well, we're going to be thinking about worship today, but I'll explain the link in a little moment. But let's, for one final time, at the completion of this present teaching series, go back to First Chronicles chapter 9 and have our reading again. Now the gatekeepers were Shalom and Akub and Talman and Ahiman and their relatives, Shalom the chief being stationed until now at the king's gate to the east. These were the gatekeepers for the camp of the sons of Levi, Shalom the son of Kore, the son of Ebiasaph, the son of Korah, and his relatives of his father's house, the Korahites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent, and their fathers had been over the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, was ruler over them previously, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah, the son of Meshelmiah, was gatekeeper of the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds were 212. These were enrolled by genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel the seer appointed in their office of trust. So they and their sons had charge of the gates of the house of the Lord, even the house of the tent, as guards. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, to the east, west, north and south. Their relatives in the villages were to come in every seven days, from time to time, to be with them. For the four chief gatekeepers, who were Levites, were in an office of trust, and were over the chambers and over the treasuries in the house of God. They spent the night around the house of God because the watch was entrusted to them and they were in charge of opening it morning by morning. Now some of them had charge of the utensils of service for they counted them when they brought them in and when they took them out. Some of them were appointed over the furniture and over all the utensils of the sanctuary and over the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices. Some of the sons of the priests prepared the mixing of the spices. Mattathiah, one of the Levites, who was the firstborn of Shalom the Korahite, had the responsibility over the things which were baked in pans. Well, perhaps a Bible text, which was a little obscure previously to some of us, has at least become more familiar, and we trust there's been merit in that. I confess it's a little difficult to draw a line, a clear line, under the distinctive duties of these keepers of the threshold, but it's hard to make any split within verse 29. So we find that just as they were appointed over the utensils, which we've already spoken about last week, so they were equally appointed over the flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices, which things were mixed in verse 30. And then we come to verse 31 and the responsibility of the things baked in pans. And there's once again there mention of Shalom, the leading threshold keeper with whom this entire section begins. By the way, I presume the reference to things baked in pans mainly features the grain offering, which is fully described for us in Leviticus chapter 2. So that may well be as neat an end to the section describing the duties of the threshold keepers as we may be able to draw, and certainly keeps them distinct from the singers who follow. The fine flour for the offerings we've mentioned 
together with the wine for the libations, which were poured on some offerings at least, plus the mention of frankincense and spices, brings us firmly, as we said, into the realm of the worship of God's house, as it was prescribed in Old Testament times. If we recap Exodus chapter 30, we'll rediscover the extreme care which had to be taken in these things. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take also for yourself the finest of spices, of flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, and of fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hin. You shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its stand. You shall also consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons to consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy and shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a layman, shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stacte and onica, and galbanum, spices with pure frankincense, there shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you, and it shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So for both the oil and the incense, each of which was comprised of a blend of spices, there was a precise and unique recipe. There's no worship like the worship of God in his house. Here in ancient times, the people of God gathered for the corporate worship of God, something in advance of personal praise. Wouldn't it be a great shame, not to say tragic, if we missed out on what answers to this today? The New Testament shows us that Christ's early followers gathered together every first day of the week to break bread in churches of God. They assembled themselves together for worship, as Hebrews 10 and verse 25 puts it, in the overall collective context of that magnificent letter, the strength, in fact, of the corporate connection is made very explicit in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul asks those who were despising the breaking of the bread if they realised they were actually despising the church of God when they came together as a church for that purpose, which was to break bread. It's clear that the Lord's table again belonged in God's house, where God's people were gathered together for worship. 
here in the New Testament churches of God was to be found the one spiritual association of disciples gathered to the name which replaced the Old Testament's one geographical place of the name. When God's people gather themselves together for worship in God's way, the men audibly lead the corporate worship. But we shouldn't even think of the men bringing an individual or personal contribution. They're actually leading the congregation of the Lord's people in what they present to God on their behalf. There's an attractive picture of Israelites bringing their baskets of firstfruits to God in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And we might like to think of the care with which the various components were presented attractively in that basket. For it's hardly plausible they were all simply thrown together with no thought, as the people then prepared to bring their offering to God's house. But if we should borrow that picture, and it's tempting to do so in motivating one another to thoughtful presentation of our worship, worship which the Bible itself describes as the fruit of our lips, if we should borrow that picture of baskets of fruit, let's not fall into the trap of thinking of some kind of competition between individual baskets with their varied displays as to which is a worthy presentation. Should we not rather be thinking of each contribution being on behalf of all and so contributing to an overall collage of the fruit we're presenting corporately to God? It's not about me offering my offering, brothers vocally and sisters silently, but it's about personal exercise beforehand in thoughtful preparation, later blended with spontaneous freshness and all integrating within the overall fruitful display if we may talk in these terms, as we come before God in worship. How careful we need to be in thinking accurately of such matters, so that we are fully pleasing to God. Once again, we are indebted, I feel, to those conscientious keepers of the threshold of a bygone era of God's house, among whose duties was included supervision of the spices and offerings. And what a wealth of principle they've left us with, being the guards of the temple entrances, the supervising stewards of the people's contributions, the temple's night watchmen, those responsible for admitting into its precincts only those who had a right to be there, keepers of an inventory of the temple equipment, and from this study, supervisors of the worship ingredients. As we leave it there, I'm praying we've all had lots to think about. I certainly have. If you've enjoyed our study even half as much as I have, then I'll be gratified and thankful to God. Thank you.
As this is the uh, last uh, programme in this series, it's also your last opportunity to send for the free transcript booklet for this series. So if you like one or more, let us have your postal address and ask for the title Keepers of the Threshold. Now, there's many ways in which you can listen to the studies again that we present on air here. And it gives you greater flexibility and opportunity to absorb more of the information at your leisure. Now, each week I'll be reminding you of a different method of downloading them. But first, here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. I'll repeat that. Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, did you know that by looking up www.searchfortruth.org.uk, you'll find our church's main website where you can download some actual programmes and their accompanying transcripts, as well as accessing other helpful material. Also, look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org. We're excited that this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on air. Well, that's the end of another series, and if you've been following, I hope you enjoyed them. Next week, we have a brand new series, God willing. It's called The Greatest Invitation Ever and it's covered in three talks over as many weeks. And then we have a seasonal talk on the 27th of December called Any Room for Jesus, before we launch into the new year with a batch of new titles for the winter-spring seasons. All in the Lord's goodwill, of course. So I hope you can continue to join us. We very much appreciate your interest in our programmes. And all that remains is to give you our very best wishes from Brian, from David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye until next week and may God richly bless you. Last dream of